Uh, Hi, listeners. We're back with another episode of Understand South Carolina. This week, we're talking about rising waters. It's a new effort from the Post and Courier to cover the effects of sea level rise and flooding on people's lives in real time. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We're joined today by Projects Editor Glenn Smith and Senior Projects Reporter Tony Bartlemy. Glenn is overseeing this project, which officially kicked off last week. Um, And Tony wrote the lead story that day. It's about how climate change is speeding up, causing more severe weather events, more sudden downpours. And of course, in Charleston, that means more flooding. Right. And and we just saw that today, actually, Um, the day that we're recording this. We expected some bad weather, and then unexpectedly, that weather turned into Tropical Storm Bertha, bringing rain and a lot of heavy winds to the area. So, right. So, we saw we saw severe weather just today. So, Glenn, can you kind of explain, because we knew there was going to be uh, some rain, possibly some flooding this morning. So, there was some planning, because this rising waters uh, project is in place on if we were going to send people out and go report on that today. So what's the thought process now that we're doing this project and working on it whenever we know uh, a weather event, a flooding event might be happening the next day? Yes, we have a whole team of people, about a dozen reporters, maybe uh, three, four, five photographers, some digital folks all teaming up to try to tell this story of um, incremental climate change in a very breaking news fashion uh, with an investigative edge to it. And uh, it requires some planning for the day's events. Oftentimes, though, the weather just messes with you no matter how much planning you do. Uh, Last week, we had an event that was forecast to have very minor flooding, and it dumped about five inches of rain on the peninsula and the surrounding area and pretty much drowned everything and created massive flooding. Today, there was a forecast to have a big storm crawling up the coast from Florida. It had dumped five to 10 inches on southern Florida, and the Carolinas were right in the sights. And then it looked like it was going to stay off the coast and have very minor flooding. And then they called for more flooding. And then it turned into Tropical Storm Bertha. So it was about 5.36 in the morning. We were all watching the National Weather Service, uh, local amateur uh, meteorologists and and folks, and and trying to just get a good sense of what to do. And I think around 6 or 7 o'clock, we decided to activate the team and send people out around 7.30 or 8. So we fanned out across the region. And that's also what happened last week as well, right? When we actually saw more uh, flooding, then we sent out this team. What kind of happened throughout the day? Because I know last week that was more of a full day process because that um, we really saw quite a bit of flooding last Wednesday. How did that play out throughout the day? Because we had some coverage already ready, right? And then we were weaving in different things. So how did that day play it, play out? Yeah, so this is kind of like a novel approach to how we're doing this, is that we do a lot of reporting ahead of time, looking into the science of climate change, government regulations, different challenges people are facing. We're trying to show the effect of climate change uh, in a very holistic way uh, from, from the economic uh, challenges and pitfalls to, to how it affects people on a very personal level. Um, so we had a bunch of material it was sort of half ready to go. Some stuff was very ready to go. Some stuff was going to be uh, written through as we did it. And 
it, it just started raining and raining and raining and raining. And there wasn't supposed to be that big of an event, but it was clear that it was the roads were filling up quickly. In the middle of that, there's a tornado warning. Tornado goes through Johns Island. It's very challenging to figure out when you send people out in those circumstances because it's, it's dangerous uh, out there. And, um, you know, you're putting yourself at a little bit of risk, but we managed to do so and get out there and really get in the thick of things uh, in, in a safe manner and story done. I know on on Twitter the next day, I, I saw a lot of people saying this is a great uh package of stories. How did they get it out this quickly? You know, this all happened yesterday. But of course, this took time uh, and a, a lot of work to to plan out. Uh, when did you start working on this and and planning this and um and 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 Tony, how did, when did you actually start start writing that that main story? Yeah, so thanks Emily. We uh we began gosh, we probably began before the pandemic. We had this idea of covering climate change in a, an entirely new way. That's I think the most significant aspect of this project is that we're trying we're trying to inject a sense of urgency that you see in the kind of uh, breaking events that we all, always experience uh, and then add this new layer, this deeper layer of, of, of the science behind climate change, the challenges they pose. So I, I actually began, I've done a lot of climate change stories over the years and then uh, began before the pandemic and then had a kind of a loose idea of how to write it before this, this uh, last week's event. And the kind of the notable thing about both today's tropical storm Bertha and and last week's rain rain storm was its utter unpredictability or its seeming unpredictability. Both times we thought we would get some rain. Both times something surprising happened. Right, and with the storm today, this is the second named story already this year, right? And we're not to the official start of hurricane season how how often have we been seeing that happen in the last several years getting these name storms before we're actually officially supposed to be um in that time of year it, it's really unusual because we're what five days away from hurricane season beginning and we don't we typically don't see a lot of storms until july or august or really september and october so i think it, this is part of a pattern this this global, instead of global warming, perhaps it's better to call it global weirding, as Tom Frieden, uh, Friedman um, talks about. Uh, we're, we're seeing these, these sort of erratic, unpredictable, supercharged weather events. And that's also part of the reason why, right, you wanted to take this approach of mixing breaking news, mixing this longer reporting um, for when these unexpected or, or unpredictable days come up, right? Because you don't quite know when it's going to happen. So you want to be ready. Uh, Glenn, what, how did this idea come, come around, I guess? And how does this compare to how our papers covered flooding in the past? I think we've covered it the way a lot of people cover it in that we write on the breaking event. We talk about roads closing down. We talk about, uh, you know, hassles people are having, flooding on the streets. And then we do deeper dives later on that take a look at some of the, the science behind it, some of the flood regulations, the impacts on people. But they seem to be kind of like divorced in a way, right? 
the two elements are often separated by days, weeks, or months, and not really combined to add that greater context and to connect all the dots. This grew out of a conversation we were having, Tony and I, with, with Mitch Pugh, the executive editor. And Mitch was saying, boy, we've, we've done such amazing stuff, uh, really documenting these flooding events as they happen. And then we've done this great enterprise work later on that explores all these different facets of climate change and, and the failure to uh, protect properties and building in, in dangerous areas and such. Um, what if we connected all those dots and did all those things we've done in the past with the event itself to really help readers see what a dire threat this poses to the region in so many different ways and put all those pieces together in one place and really put it out in, in front of the public and foster a greater conversation on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of one of the terms that um, we used in the like packaging of the, of this project is a uh, climate emergency. Um, can either of you talk a little bit about like what 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 do we mean when we say climate emergency? And and have, have any of you guys seen that Bill Great Bill Nye uh, video? Where he, I, I I have, but um, maybe yeah, some of our listeners haven't. If you want to, Bill, Bill Nye, very well recognized, known science guy, gets on the John Oliver show, and he takes a fire or he, he lights the globe on fire and he basically says the planet's on effing fire <laughs> safety glasses off and and just lays into it you know that there is ample evidence that that we're we've essentially broken the climates broken the climate and we're in a in a this very very significant emergency situation but we're not feeling it right where these these kinds of sort of slower events are hard to hard to respond to they're overwhelming they're kind of slow to you know slow to identify and and so we're we're really yeah we're trying to trying to you know create that sense of urgency that that we have when we have a breaking event because you know it recognizes our our human nature of focusing on what's in front of us and Tony, right in the headline of of your piece you wrote, forget about climate change. I think the phrase forget about climate change is definitely eye grabbing, um, but that it's about climate speed. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, I think so. I, over and over, I've heard people say climate change, you know, it's, you know, climate's always changed. And that's sort of a throw throwaway explanation for what's going on. And while the vast majority of people understand that human beings have created this climate situation, a significant number, small but significant number, still don't get it. And, and so we wanted to ans answer that question. Forget about climate change. The real story is about the pace of change and how global warming has essentially speeded up all the processes that, are, um, that affect the climate. It's a theme that really hasn't been kind of hit home uh, by a lot of other newspapers. Mm -hmm. If I could add, too, I think it's been happening in such an incremental way that we've all grown to adapt to it to a certain extent. If you went back 10 years ago and you were driving along the Crosstown Expressway, this major artery through the middle of the city that was built in a watershed, 
occasionally you might run into some floodwaters. Uh, but certainly if it was flooding and coming over the hood of your car and drowning your automobile, that would have been big news. But now we've sort of adapted to it. We, we, we work at different times of the day. We take different routes. Um, we've all found ways to kind of ignore the fact that the sea is rising and flooding this this area on a regular basis. We had 89 sunny day flooding events last year, which was which is a record breaking number of events. The the harbor has risen a foot in the last since what 1920, and it's rising as Tony said mm-hmm. at a much faster rate. But because it happens in these just little ways that eat away at our life, we don't notice the enormity of what we're facing. So we're, we're trying to bring that all home. That's a good point, Glenn. What, imagine if you went to sleep like Rip Van Winkle 50 years ago, and then you woke up five years ago and then experienced that thousand-year flood, then experienced Irma and Matthew, Dorian, year after year after year, then you know, you know, a five-inch rain in April, and then a five-inch rain in May. Say, hey, this is an emergency. Yeah. Right. And the the thousand-year flood, I know that was something that you included in your story. So for that, we're talking about the flooding in October 2015. But of course, even though it's called a 1,000-year flood, um, and so in theory, you shouldn't see something like that again in your lifetime easily, right, Uh, over the last several years – just still seeing record rainfalls, record flooding every year, right? So um, still using that term 1,000-year flood for that event, but that's not actually, I guess it just doesn't seem accurate, right, for what we're dealing with now. No, clearly we're having to rewrite what we mean by 1,000, 500, 100-year floods because because of these accelerating forces. I, I I feel like I probably should interject that um the the we we are aware that the technical definition of of thousand year flood doesn't mean that it can only happen once in a thousand years so so before people send us angry emails or, <laughs> we we are we are of course aware of, of that so um the the point being though that that these extremely rare events are happening more frequently than we would expect them to happen and that that's the bottom line wh- whatever you call it yeah that's a good point emory that you know one weather event you can't it's really difficult to connect it to climate change but m- multiple events you can you get you have a pattern it's interesting when you say too that it wasn't that long ago that running into the kind of flooding we get on the crosstown pretty frequently would be big news. I think there are plenty of people with how many new residents Charleston has, who myself among them, uh, who since they've lived here, that's been the norm. Um, So that's kind of an interesting perspective. A newspaper that's been here for many, many years can give too. how actually does this compare to Charleston's history of of flooding. Um, I know that what one of the things too is the severity, right? So not just the frequency, but the severity. Um, and, and 
Tony, I know you you wrote about that as well, that people are seeing these uh, more unexpected, more severe events. Um, why is that? Why why is it that not only are these events more frequent, but they're they're becoming more severe and more um, unpredictable? So, uh, in simple terms, because we've been burning so much, uh, so so many fossil fuels, so many, so much uh, carbon, we've uh, unleashed into the atmosphere. We've essentially generated this enormous amount of greenhouse gas that traps heat. Most of that heat ends up going into the ocean. Uh, which is also warming. The ocean's this giant heat sink. But a lot of it goes into the atmosphere, and the atmosphere is is warming. It's it's warmed about 1.3 inches around 1.3 degrees uh, Fahrenheit uh, over the last 50 years. And when you have a warming atmosphere, uh, that atmosphere is able to hold more moisture and then unload that moisture in the form of rain. So you have more moisture, more rain, Heavier rains, more intense rains, and and also so it, it creates this tremendous ripple effect in a lot of other ways too. So that's one reason why we're having all these these unusual events. I thought in the story, Tony, you really that that comparison you had to that that rain bomb event that I, f- I forget how many millions of gallons of, of of water came down, but you compared it to basically having uh, Niagara Falls unload on Charleston over what the course of an hour or something like that. Yeah, I, I calculated uh, a square mile. How, how much rain would be? So roughly two feet of rain uh, fell over the peninsula of Charleston in 2015, really turning the peninsula into part of the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. and. So I calculated how much, much volume of water that would be uh, over one square mile. And it came out to be essentially like as if somebody put Niagara Falls on Charleston for an hour, dumped that much water. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Atlantic Ocean, of course, when we're having these more frequent rain events, more powerful um our sea level is also rising. That's kind of the other main element of this, right? We're getting more of more of this severe weather at the same time that our our sea level is is rising. So, and you spoke to this a little bit earlier, but just how much the sea level has risen here in the in the Charleston area? Uh, what does that What does that look like? And also, when did scientists start rethinking sea rise? So Charleston's really lucky in a way. We have this this um, gauge near um, um, down in near Waterfront Park that has been measuring temperatures for more than a hundred or measuring um, water level, sea level for more than a hundred years. So we have got this great data set, and we so we know that sea level has risen about a foot in the past century. But in the past, scientists really thought. The trend line was uh, kind of linear. It was kind of just as if it was a straight hill upward. But what they found was because of a rapidly warming planet, we're seeing more of a curve upward, it's an accelerating curve. It's uh, mathematicians call it a quadratic curve, which gives me a headache just thinking about it. <laughs> but so so we're seeing this is increasing um, as it's accelerating rise in the sea level, which is really, that's sort of the new new thing. So, well, see, 
sea level has risen maybe an inch or two over the last few decades. Now it's rising at about two inches. In the next decade or so, it'll it'll increase to three, and then it'll keep going going higher through the rest of this century. And I think you know one of, one of the things that's important to um, realize when we're talking about sea level rise is that you know the the numbers might sound kind of small when you think about it, but one of the things that we always watch um, in the past couple of years, and we've had all these um, tropical storms, these, these near misses, we, we always pay a lot of attention to the timing, uh, like when the storm is going to you know, approach Charleston or the coast and how that relates to, to tide. And so you see some interesting things ha- can happen. For example, the most recent storm that that came through had you know we we recorded one of our all time highest tides and you know it it's it's a situation where it just you're creating the circumstances where as bad as like Hugo was in the in the eighties you know a, a few extra inches in the harbor when you're talking about like a a big storm coming in something like like when you're when you're talking about storm surge happening yeah. That, can really make a big difference. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not that, that one day, like one wave is just going to come in and then Charleston's like underwater forever. It's, it's, it it is really more about these, these extreme events and how we're, we're just moving the baseline of, of, of these, these extreme events. Yeah. Emery, you make a really good point there. Just, you know, think about what one degree or two degrees temperature would do if that was your, your body temperature. Right. You know, that's the difference between healthy and being feverish. And so the climate's the body temperature of the climate is 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 reaching a feverish level. So we're, even just a 1 foot rise in the sea level in Charleston would would regularly flood 64,000 acres in Charleston County. Essentially we'd be moving mm-hmm. high tide mm-hmm. up yeah. a foot and that would affect 64,000 acres, 1,000 homes and offices buildings. So I know one of the ways that we've phrased this just particularly because of our geographic position is that Charleston is on the front lines of the climate crisis, right? And when it time when it comes to covering an issue like this and 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 working on a project like this uh, of course we're looking at the the science but flooding and these weather events, they affect so many different segments of the community, different aspects of it. So how are we thinking through and planning what elements of that to cover, right? It affects businesses, it affects different communities in different ways. Um, so Glenn, what, what can people expect going forward? What are we looking into and what are we trying to to delve into with this lens of flooding and severe weather and these issues. Yeah, we're looking at, at a whole pile of different issues. Uh, Tony and I were out today in, in the thick of this uh, taking water samples around the, the different areas of the region to try to get a sense of what's in that water we're all walking through. Um, we have people going out into uh, communities uh, up in the, the, the Charleston Neck area, the sort of the, the thin area that connects the peninsula to, to the um, larger region. 
go up into some of these low-income communities that historically have not received the same attention as perhaps the, the tourist areas around the market, but have struggled kind of in silence for years. And now we're really facing a dire threat from the, the number of flooding episodes. We're talking to business leaders about uh, lost productivity, people stuck on roads, unable to reach the jobs. You're losing an hour or two at the end of the day. Talking also, you, you'll be talking, Emily, to <laughs> business leaders about mm-hmm. um, you know already getting hammered during the coronavirus and the, and the shutdown and the lockdown and you know combating the rising sea at the same time. We'll be talking to um, first responders, trying to reach people in, in crisis as uh, you know, they're also trying to take precautions against the coronavirus. There's just so many stories out there. Everybody's affected uh, around the hospital district. We've just opened this multi-million dollar children's hospital in this hospital complex that is probably the jewel of the South Carolina medical system, sitting right in a basin over there that regularly floods. I mean, these are all it's just so impactful across so many different people's lives and so many different segments of society. So there are lots of stories to tell. Yeah, I can I can say that so many businesses are so nervous right now about hurricane season and about getting a really bad storm because their savings are just drained right now um, from the last couple of months of having to having to shut down. Do we have any idea, any predictions at this point of what this hurricane season might look like? Forecasters have predicted a higher than uh, normal hurricane season, that, and that can mean anything. That can mean we have we get hammered a bunch of times. It could also mean a lot of storms just you know, churn up the Atlantic and don't 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 hurt us. But it, it, it again, it sort of speaks to this pattern of accelerating forces and in. in more active hurricane seasons. Mm-hmm. Given how on the front lines Charleston is when it comes to these issues, what do we know that the city has done at this point to, say, reduce our carbon footprint? I know, Tony, this that's something that you've written before, written about before. Yeah, no, the city for a long time had its head in the sand when it came to a lot of these issues. They, uh, My favorite anecdote is that uh, the city had this 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 planning document called the uh, the Century Four Plan, and it was uh, this massive planning document that described how the city would shape itself during the coming century. It didn't mention sea rise once. That was a very telling thing. That was about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Then we had all these storms, and then we've had some aggressive coverage by the paper. And now the city, I think, is is taking it very seriously. We have lots of uh, lots of activity, lots of, I think, concern. The the city, it, when it comes to its own carbon footprint, it, like heck, like the newspaper is 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 lagging. You know, you know, we're, you know, all of us probably could be doing more and should be, but the, the city's carbon footprints, uh, you know, they have to deal with a lot of other things like flooding projects and you know, it's, you know, a lot of competing needs. And I know, of course, we are seeing some uh, work in terms of city projects related to sea level rise, right? We're seeing um, the, the the battery wall. We've we've also seen a, a plan from the Army Corps of Engineers of what it would look like to 
put a wall around the city again, like Charleston had many, many years ago. But um, now for um, the this this reason of 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 sea level rise, so um, we're definitely seeing some movement and thought around that. But just knowing how long any type of municipal project can take, it seems at odds with this speed that you're describing, right? Um, if we can come up with a solution that gets us to where we need to be in time, you know, with kind of racing that, racing that sea level rise and racing that, um, those severe weather events. A reporter, Chloe Johnson, who is also part of the rising waters team. She did this great, great deep dive into, into that wall, its history and, and the challenges that project faces. That's a massive, massive infrastructure project that actually does absolutely nothing to, to solve our flooding problems. Mm-hmm. It would it would keep out storm surge during big hurricanes and storms, but there is some fear that it would trap floodwaters like we saw today or last week in the city and not allow them to drain because it's not really designed to deal with that sort of thing, nor is it um, able to protect under the current design uh, some of those low income communities like I was talking about. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a uniform barrier that's going to protect everybody. Um, there's no money appropriated for it. There's a lot of competition for those dollars. Um, just even the city's estimate of what it needs to tackle the flooding issue. A couple of years ago, they said it was around $2 billion. And yeah, there's a lot of money. Uh, there's a lot of planning that would have to go. Uh, into all this, a lot of cooperation with the state, the federal government. And you're right, that sort of belies the that sort of creeping threat and these events that we are seeing on, a, on an all too regular basis. But mm-hmm. it seems to be what we're faced with. Yeah. If, uh, if anybody's interested in, in learning some more about that, um, I know we, we did an episode um, last year. Uh, about some of these these topics um in the wake of the the like dutch dialogues project um and, and yeah i mean the the long long to to make a long story short it's it's a very complicated problem with lots of different solutions and no no one magic bullet but um if if you're interested in in that we i know we had a a more in-depth conversation about that on a previous episode so you can go find that and listen to it what are we hearing from Charleston residents? Because that's, of course, one of the goals of this project, too, is to find people who are experiencing this in their day-to-day lives, who are personally worried about flooding. Uh, what in this first package, what are some of the things we are hearing from those <clears throat> from those people um, just about about their concerns about how this affects, like I said, their day-to-day lives? I think we're hearing a you know a chorus of frustration, a little bit of fear, because it, it's such an overwhelming subject, and and these forces you know suddenly they they're upon us, and they're you know the hurricane is such a powerful event that it creates this this feeling of anxiety, uncertainty, um, that um, I don't know you know makes makes people question where they live, their futures. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you have that that sort of you know, that layer of anxiety, plus you've got a, another layer of anxiety about the coronavirus, plus everybody else's usual day-to-day things that they're dealing with. So I, I think these, these flooding events, you know, 
create a lot of um, a lot of a lot of anxiety. And you know, we hope you know as part of this project also to help guide some of that anxiety toward a more positive direction and um, without giving false hope. But, but there are some some things like through the Dutch dialogues, uh, which was all which were aimed at uh, finding ways to live with water that we could probably learn some very good lessons uh, from. Um, and, and it's part of a larger conversation. It's going to take, uh, you know, not only the city making some, some actions, but individuals uh, doing things to reduce their own carbon footprint and, and do their part. We're going to suggest some of those things in, in the coverage to come, some ways you can help out. Um, but yeah, to, to Tony's point, there, there is that anxiety. There's that, I talked to a fellow down on Charleston's east side, which is a neighborhood that's had some struggles o- over the years. And he grew up there, and he's in his 60s now, and he runs a small store. And he was showing me a tree the other day. He said, this, this is the line where the flood water used to come when I was a kid, and now it's up a block further than that. And when he was a kid, it was this very vibrant uh, neighborhood of, of mixed races and ethnicities. And there was a lot of jobs. There was a cigar factory, the Navy base, the port. It's this very thriving area. And then over the years, a lot of those jobs dried up when the Navy base closed and the cigar factory closed. And the neighborhood fell on some hard times. And uh, crime set in. There was a lot of drug dealing in the neighborhood. It's starting to turn the corner now. There's a lot of people investing investing in there. You're seeing more uh, diversity, more economic investment. And he, he's, he's all for that. And I think people in the neighborhood are, are pretty excited about that. But they worry now that there's this threat from the flooding that comes and, you know, it wrecks those properties. It, it, it consumes cars. It, it, it just wreaks havoc, right? And they, they don't want to see the progress lost. Right. And I know you mentioned this briefly, that there will be in future coverage, some suggestions of what people can do, some actionable items. I know kind of all of this information, Tony, like you're saying, can make people feel uh, overwhelmed, uh, you know, maybe a little um, just just anxious that they can't do something. But that will be another element of this, right, is, is proposing some things that, that people can do. Yeah, no, we, we broke the climate. We can fix it, I hope. There are yeah. lots of things we can do. On on that note, Glenn, what can we expect from the future of this project? Because it's not just one thing that we did last week or today. This is something that's going to be ongoing. What can we expect from the from the future? What what can listeners do to to help us report this story? Well, a, a couple different things. One, uh, we are looking actively looking for people who face challenges from flooding, whether it be commuting to work or or trying to pick up their kids or just protect their property from the floodwaters. We're interested in hearing from people who are facing these challenges, and we'd love to tell those stories. And we'd love to spend some time with them during flooding events and really chronicle what they're going through so people see what their friends and neighbors and colleagues uh, have to deal with with this crisis. That's one thing. So you're free to contact me or Tony or Chloe or just write to news tips at postingcourier.com and share your story and someone will get that to us. Uh, and I, I can't stress enough how much we do want to hear from readers. The other thing you can do is we have a Post and Courier investigative fund that is helping underwrite some of 
be water testing we're doing uh, to see you know what sort of stuff you're slogging through in that filthy soup that's that fills up our roads and it's going to pay for a freedom of information act requests uh that that could be quite expensive to access documents and other things we need to to find out um to check the city and the state on its progress and to see what's been done over the years uh some of these endeavors are quite costly and um you know we appreciate every donation and dollar we can get to help with that Right. And what are the best ways that listeners can get in touch with either of you, whether that be Twitter, email, what are the best ways to reach you? Uh, Tony and I are both on Twitter. I'm uh, Glenn Smith five. Tony, what's your handle? I'm at, L- at, at T Bartleme at T B A R T E L M E or Go to the go to our website and click on one of our stories. Yeah, and our contact yeah. information is yes. at the bottom of each story. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. You can send us emails. You can call on the phone. You can write to news tips at Post and Courier. Uh, there's so many ways to reach us, but we would like to hear from. Yep, and uh, if you have comments or questions or suggestions about this podcast in particular, uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, the best place, best way to get in touch with us is to tweet at us. We're at UnderstandSC. Well, thanks so much, Glenn and Tony, for for joining us this week and explaining this project. Thanks for letting us uh, share some thanks, of our God. work. Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't didn't and Glenn have a, um, a a climate change joke though? Well, now you got to say a it. joke. Yes, yeah, I think there's. I think he has maybe two. What? Um, yep, we got to hear him. Oh, you got to hear. You gotta why say did it the climate need some privacy? Because it was changing. Mm. <laughs> God. I'll spare you the second. What, what? No, no, it, it could, it could, it could, it, it could redeem you. What's the second? Yeah, one? what's the second one? Um, why is it good to talk global warming with a prospective person of the opposite sex you might be courting? Because it's a good icebreaker. Oh uh, uh, I, I kind of <laughs> like that one a little bit more. Okay, that's not bad. All right. What did one hurricane say to the other? I don't know. I have my eye on you. Oh. And we can right. go okay. on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. We got to stop yeah. there. On that note, um, again, thanks so much for joining us. And we will be back next week with another episode of Understand South Carolina. All right. And that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.